Hey guys, welcome to the Swerve Church Podcast. My name is Danny, the lead pastor. I pray that the message that you're about to hear is encouraging, uplifting, and honestly challenging as well. I want to invite you to join us in person Sundays at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub at 239 Stanhope Street, or catch church online at 11 a.m. on our YouTube or Facebook page. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I pray that you're blessed by today's message and that it helps draw you closer to Jesus. Hey guys, I'm super excited to begin a three, a new three-week series with you all this week called Five Habits, helping us to live a life on mission. And the goal of this series is just that, to not only build a framework for why we should live on mission, but to also hopefully put some practical tools in your hands on how to do it. In fact, you'll notice today in your notes that we've included a QR code for you to be able to download a free ebook by the same title, Five Habits. It's a gift for you and it's a tool to help you live on mission. I want to encourage you guys to download the book, read the book. It's not terribly long. And I think it will help you see how easy it could be for you to live a life on mission. Now, let me paint this picture for you guys. Okay, we're in Bushwick, Brooklyn. All right? It's not even two square miles. But crammed into this small area, we have 140,000 people. The street that our church is located on, just Stanhope between Nickabock and Irving, has 1,500 people. That's right outside our doors. Among all the people that fill up our community, there are countless of people who are living helpless and hopeless, living a life apart from experiencing the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness made available in Christ. We're talking about your neighbors. We're talking about your friends, your family, the person who makes your sandwich at the deli, the family who does your dry cleaning, the lady who does your nails at the salon. I mean, just thousands and thousands of people who simply do not know the true Jesus, the Jesus that loves them, the Jesus that died for them, the Jesus that came to seek and save them, the Jesus that doesn't live on a necklace or in a painting, but who is God and that gave all of himself to ransom them. So here's the question. Who's going to reach them? Who's going to share this good news with them? Certainly no one person or one church will be able to reach all those people. It's going to take an army of followers of Christ sharing the hope of the gospel with their friends, their family, with their neighbors, and with their co-workers. And if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you have probably felt the pressure of having to share your faith with others. You might have heard convicting messages and Bible teachings about it. Now, perhaps you have realized that it's, that it's true and, and there is a great need to proclaim the gospel. You're able to identify the need and maybe you can even see why you are a part of the solution. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit Himself that's convicted you of, of this fact, that since you've received the good news, since you've experienced this amazing grace, that you should be elated and pleasured to be able to share the gospel with others, that it shouldn't be viewed as a burden or, or embarrassing or a shameful thing. But maybe that's exactly how you feel as you hear me talk about this. Well, then the question comes up to as how? You feel like you should, you know that you should, but the process of sharing your faith with others gets you anxious. You don't want to be labeled a weirdo, and you certainly don't want to experience the potential rejection. So how do you do it? Do you just approach random strangers on the street and share the gospel with them? Do you get on a megaphone in the middle of Times Square and yell at the people as they pass by? Do you just live a good life and hope that some way, somehow, people will put their faith in Christ just by you know, looking at the way you live. It can be daunting, nerve-wracking even to consider talking to someone about your faith. 
For some of you, even the thought of talking to someone gives you hives and, and you break into sweats. But here's the truth, and you can write this down in your notes. This is the fill in the blank under number one. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love our neighbors. That's, we're called by the scriptures to love our neighbor. I mean, even Jesus taught this himself. And of course, you know this already. Um, there's a time in the Gospels when Jesus was answering the question that was asked by a scribe in the book of Mark uh, about what, what was the most important command, which is the most important command. And this is what Jesus said. Jesus answered, the most important is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. And while there's many different ways to love your neighbor, if what we believe is true, if Jesus really did die for the forgiveness of sin and rose from the grave to grant us new life and gave us reconciliation with the Father, then the absolute best thing that we can do for someone is to introduce them to Jesus. The best thing we can do with our neighbor and for our neighbor is share the gospel with them. Ultimately, the greatest act of love is to show them Jesus. If you see someone you love heading down a path where you know there's a pothole that they can fall into or where they can you know, trip and get hurt if they're not careful, the most loving thing you can do for them is warn them about it. If you're with them or beside them, the most loving thing would be to grab their attention, yell their name, smack them in the back of the head if they're not paying attention, maybe even push them out of the way if it's necessary. In fact, you might even say that you have a responsibility to warn them from the potential harm. If you don't, it's an unloving thing. It's a cruel thing even. As followers of Jesus, we have been trusted with the most beautiful, most precious, most valuable, most important, most life-changing truth. We've been given the gift of the gospel. But it's not a gift we're to hold on to with a tight fist. It's a gift to share. It's a gift too precious to keep a secret. If we're to take Jesus' command seriously, if we're to genuinely love our neighbor as we've been loved by Christ, then we have to share this most amazing news, that while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for us and conquered the grave so that all who would call upon the name of Jesus would be saved. Last year, I put a post on Facebook. It was almost like a joke about, you know, all I wanted for Christmas was buttercrunch cookies. But what ended up happening was I received two huge boxes of cookies in the mail. What did I do with these gifts? I hid them. I was selfish. I did not want to share with anyone. And if I left them in plain sight, I have three big rats at home that would eat them all in one day. So I hid it. But that's exactly what we shouldn't do with the gospel. You don't hide the gift of the gospel. You share it with the world. It's what I should have done a better job at with the cookies. But how do we get there? If you're like, Danny, I want to get there. I, I want to share the good news that I've been given. I, I want to love my neighbor. But how do I do it? How do I get over this fear? Well, through this series, I hope to answer that question and give you some practical tools. Uh, by the way, let me just say that there's many different ways to share the gospel. And as we discuss this over the next few weeks, I don't want you to hear that this is the only way or even the best way. But I do think that the things that we'll discuss today and the weeks to follow is a good biblical way to be able to love our neighbors and share the gospel in a way that hopefully feels natural and conducive to gospel conversations.
Okay, the last thing that we want is to turn into a used car salesman. Nobody likes that guy, right? Or to sound like we're involved in a pyramid scheme or part of a cult. <laughs> no, I actually believe that we have the absolute best news you could ever hear. And since we've got it, we've got to give it to a spiritually thirsty, hungry, and dying world. And so for the rest of our time, I want to give you the acronym which we'll dissect over the following two weeks. But I also want to lay the groundwork or the foundation for the question to how are we to share the gospel with our neighbors or how do we live our lives on mission? So over the next two weeks, we're going to unpack the acronym BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. -S. And here's what it stands for. You can write this down in your notes. B, begin with prayer. L, listen. E, eat. S, serve. And S, story. So you're definitely going to want to come back over the next few weeks so that you can get a good grasp on how we can bless our neighbors and be faithful stewards of the gospel message that we've received. Now, if we want to grow in this area of our lives, if we want to be faithful missionaries in our context, then we ought to examine the best missionary of all time. And his name is Jesus. And when Jesus walked the earth during his earthly ministry, what were the things that he did? How did Jesus live on mission? What reputation did Jesus have among people? What were the rhythms that he had in place? Because without a doubt, can't no one question the effectiveness of his ministry. In fact, we're here today, gathered on a Sunday, sitting under the teaching of God's word, worshiping the risen Christ, because Jesus had an effective ministry that reached people to such a degree that today there are 2.2 billion people who follow Jesus. What was one thing that set Jesus apart from all the other religious leaders of his day? What was his reputation among both people who were devoted to following God and those who were not? This is number two in your notes. You can write this down. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Here's what it says in the Gospel of Matthew. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. This is what set Jesus apart from so many of the religious leaders of his day, where the righteous and the holy and the pious people would stay in a holy huddle. Jesus would make his way to the least, the lonely, and the lost. His reputation was a friend of sinners. Apparently, the types of friends that he had were people who had a reputation, so much so that they would accuse Jesus of also doing what they were doing. He hung out with people who were known for some, let's say, questionable activities. But Jesus had a clear mission in mind. And with all compassion and mercy, he would hang out with these reputable sinners to the degree where he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton. This says a couple things about Jesus that I think that we should know. First, he found himself among people who were broken. He would befriend them, knowing that within that friendship there would be an opportunity to declare the truth about the kingdom of God and to call them to repentance. Secondly, People actually liked being around Jesus. They wanted to spend time with Him. They wanted to be around Him and have Him at their parties and sitting at their tables. I think we all know those religious nuts that no one wants to be around. They're about as fun as moldy bread. And if you don't know anyone like that, I got bad news for you. It's probably because you're the religious nut. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus was actually liked by people. He was welcomed into people's homes. He was a welcome guest and considered a friend by many, especially, and in particular, the non-church folk. 
He was definitely on the hit list for the religious leaders, but not for the rest of the world. There's an instance that we read in the Gospels where uh, Jesus calls a tax collector to join his ragtag group of disciples, and he goes to his house for a meal. And this causes the religious leaders to gossip and to complain and bash Jesus for his decision to befriend sinners. Jesus' response gives us insight into his heart and compassion for those who had not yet known and experienced the grace of God. It's also a challenge for us to be able to examine our hearts and maybe even realign our hearts and actions to match up more with His. All right, so Jesus answers this way in Mark chapter 2. It is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Essentially, Jesus tells the religious leaders, okay, great, you're doing well, you don't need any help, you booked your one-way ticket to heaven already, huh? Well, you go ahead and stay in your holy huddle while I step into the places, spaces, and environments where I'm most, most needed. The places that you would never dare to step into or be caught dead walking by. And, and I love the analogy that Jesus gives. You know, essentially he's like, well, nobody walks into a hospital and says, Ugh, why are all these sick people here? Ugh, that person is coughing all over the place. You know, the hospital exists for the sick. The doctors, the nurses, the receptionists are there to care for the sick and the hurting in order to nurse them back into health. Jesus says, I'm the greater physician who has come to operate on the hearts of those who are willing to acknowledge their brokenness and need for me. And for those who would allow Jesus to enter their dining room and sit at their dinner table, he befriended them. He established a relationship with them. And it was often from that place of relationship where Jesus was able to both tear down and build up the person. The person would always leave feeling both loved and convicted. Many eternities were impacted by Jesus this way. So as we begin our discussion on being on mission and sharing the gospel with our neighbors and bringing people to the foot of the cross so that their lives can be forever changed, it can often begin with simply being a friend. It can begin by building relationships. Jesus was a friend of sinners. People liked being around Jesus. They didn't mind having him at their table. Can the same be said of you? Are you an actual friend to those friends and neighbors and co-workers who are living their lives empty and aimless without the hope of Christ? Are you working at building a relationship, establishing a trustworthy reputation and friendship with people who are far from God? When we talk about being on mission and sharing our faith, a great place to start is with this right here. Connect with people on a relational level to the degree where you can be called a friend. And by the way, be a genuine friend. People are not simply a means to an end. They're not your projects to work on or fix. They are, they are made in the image of God and Jesus loves them tremendously, more than you or I ever could. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. That reputation allowed him to sit at many tables where he could call out sin, share the kingdom of God, and help redeem, restore, and renew many people. And here's the last thing for today. Number three, you can write this down. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict, commit, and conquer hearts. You know, in John chapter 16, Jesus is giving instructions to his disciples because his death is approaching. And he begins to tell them about God, the Holy Spirit, who will fill the lives of the believers but that would also have a unique job in helping to redeem the lost. Look at what it says in the scriptures. Nevertheless, I'm telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away, because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin 
righteousness and judgment, about sin because they do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father and you will no longer see me, and about judgment because the rule of this world has been judged. You see, guys, when it comes to sharing our faith, seeing people respond and put their faith in Christ, watching people move from spiritual darkness into Christ's light, you can rest easy because the pressure is not on you. Jesus teaches the disciples that all the saving and all that amazing grace stuff, that's on God, the Holy Spirit. And trust me, you don't want that responsibility anyway. The Holy Spirit can do a way better job at that than you can. So our job is simple. It's obedience. And in that obedience, we trust that God will do what He does best. After all, it's what He did with you, isn't it? I know for a fact it's what He did with me. Our God is in the saving business. He's the loving Father that loves His creation, and it's evidenced in the lengths by which He went to redeem us unto Himself. Our sins separated us from God, but God, who is rich in mercy and slow to anger, put into play a redemptive plan through Jesus. In an unthinkable fashion, God entered His creation in the person and work of Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And then in the ultimate evidence of His love for you and me, He laid down His life upon a cross so that by His precious blood, we can have forgiveness of sin. But because God is the very author of life, Jesus rose from the grave on the third day so that all who would look upon that cross and evidence the empty grave and put their faith and hope in Jesus could have forgiveness of sin and new life. If you're here today and you have not responded to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, perhaps right now the Holy Spirit is stirring something deep inside of you. He's convicting you of your sin and showing you how desperately you need Jesus. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and you have an opportunity to do so today. Five habits to help us live on mission. We're gonna bless our neighbors. What do we do? We love our neighbor. And the most loving thing that we can do for them is introduce them to a loving, merciful, and forgiving God who through Christ paid it all so that we can be called children of God. What do we do? We become friends. As Jesus was a friend to sinners, we open our lives and our hearts to become friends to our neighbors. And within that friendship, we might just have the opportunity to share the gospel. And when we do, the pressure's off us. It's the Holy Spirit's job to draw them to Jesus, just like he did with us. Let's pray. Lord, would you give us a heart for those who are living without the hope and grace of the gospel? Would you break our hearts to such a degree that it would actually move us to action? Would you help us be friends to our neighbors? Help us love with no strings attached. Help us be patient and kind and full of understanding. And help us also be bold in proclaiming the good news when you give us the opportunity. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, convin for convicting us and drawing us to God through Jesus. Would you continue to do more of the same and rescue our neighbors, friends, and family? For the sake of Christ, for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I truly pray and hope that you were challenged and encouraged by today's message. I want to take a second to invite you to join us in person. We're gathering this Sunday at 11 a.m. at the Swerve Hub, 239 Stanhope Street, right here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And come on over, join us, come to the Swerve Hub. Let's worship together. Let's get together. Let's worship God together. Let's learn and grow together. Let's fellowship together. Why don't you come on out and join us in person this Sunday?